Hello, and yes, it's Monday, and you rush to your usual podcast place to click on your favourite listening experience full of wise words. Uh, that's the APW Property Podcast. And uh, the wise words today are going to come from our guest, Callum Williamson. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm very well. And you're joined by Lloyd Littlewood. Uh, hi, Lloyd. Hi, Paul. Uh, and me, uh, Paul Shearer. Uh, as we're going to get into our imaginary Maserati, clip on our seatbelts, fire the engine into full pretend gas-guzzling roar, and do a virtual drive-by of all things property in the UK. Uh, today we're winding down the window and peering at the third step in our seven-step series on property purchases. Callum, you can take us through these first three steps. Yeah, OK. Um, one was to find your goals. Uh, once you've got that, you can then go on to step two, which is choosing your location, using your goals. And then today is number three, because that's what normally happens. You get three after two. Uh, and it's getting your mortgage sorted and the steps involved with that. Okay. Uh, and why that step? Why is that important, Lloyd? Because if you can't get one of those, then you may well be, well be in a position where you can't actually move forward. So it, it, it's good to get an understanding from an advisor as to what your loan to value ratio is that then sets the parameters for what you are able to then go and look for yeah that sounds that sounds fair enough and also um if you've got a mortgage sorted it puts you in a much better position as a buyer because uh, you can then make serious offers and you're treated more seriously by agents and so on so uh, how do you go about getting a mortgage Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna break it down into this the steps within steps. So within the seven step guide, the steps to getting a mortgage. A mortgage. Uh, so to give it a brief overview, you need to first define whether it's residential or buy to let because those are different mortgages, which we would have done if we've set our goals. Uh, then we're gonna look at the documents required, process, why working with a broker is worthwhile, getting a decision in principle, and and some of the rates as well. So seven steps again. Okay. Uh, so we did a podcast on mortgages last year uh, in September, so you can have a listen to that. Uh, but also look out for another one coming up soon where we'll look at all the different kinds of mortgages there are. Uh, but first, this big uh, difference, residential versus buy-to-let. Um, tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, okay. So residential, it's obviously for a property that you want to live in, not rent out. Uh, so lenders for this purpose, because you haven't got any income coming from the property, they are far more focused on your income and your salary as you will be the one paying the mortgage. Uh, therefore, you can expect more stringent checks on your own personal income and expenses. Lenders regulated by the FCA, Financial Conduct Authority, have a responsibility to make sure that they lend only to people who can afford the commitment they're making. So yes, that's uh, uh, that is for property that you're using yourself, and there are various different multiples of your income or joint income that different institutions use. But I think it's usually somewhere between three point five to five times your income is a general rule of thumb. But you need to look at those individual institutions. Lloyd, how about uh, buy to let? What happens there? Well, the buy to let focus changes actually to where the focus becomes on the rent of the property. You know, lenders typically are going to be looking at the income that that's going to bring in. Uh, they're going to be checking income plus expenses, but it's when, but it's basically the rent which will pay for the mortgage. So different lenders have different ratios that they require, um, but it's the rent against the mortgage payment. So that's where the rent must 
would be 125% of the mortgage cost, typically. Uh, the lenders need to know that the rent will be more than enough to cover the mortgage and then some. I know recently when we spoke to Scott, there are some that will do it kind of there or thereabouts at the same level. But ideally, if you've, if you've got some extra in there, then, then that's going to open up a, a larger number of mortgage providers. They almost apply some stress testing to that. Will the payments be covered if there's a rise in interest rates, for example? When the lenders are confident that the income from the tenant will be sufficient, then they are happy to lend you against the property's rent and there will be less focus on your personal income and salary, although that may well still be required to be provided, the focus will actually be on the rental income. Uh, we're going to talk more about brokers in a little while, but Scott is one of the brokers that uh, mortgage brokers that we work with overseas. He's based in Singapore, has been for 20 odd years and um, you know knows the ins and outs of getting a mortgage as an expat like no one else. So yeah, he speaks at our uh, events and speaks to our clients and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, hopefully we'll hear from him at a later date, but it's, uh, he's, a, he's a good guy to have in your corner when it comes to mortgages. Okay. Uh, so that's the big difference. Residential mortgages where your uh, own personal salary is going to play a big part uh, and buy-to-let mortgages where it's going to be based on the rent that the property is, is uh, generating. Uh, but whichever it is, you're going to need documents. You're going to need paperwork. So what kind of paperwork can you get in place before you start the process? Do you want to kick us off on that one? Yeah, so general paperwork is going to be uh, three months pay slips, three months of bank statements, proof of address, uh, and proof of ID. Yeah, they, uh, it's a big one. Uh, proof of ID, proof of address. They're all. Uh, everyone wants those just to prove who you are and that you're not money laundering away. Uh, so those can be quite stringent, and they can require utility bills and bank statements and so on. Uh, you need also then the pay slips if you're going to prove your income. You also need your bank statements three months. Usually they're going to ask for those. Anything else, Callum? Yeah, look, that's a minimum, isn't it? So you can start getting that ahead of time. It does differ situation to, to situation and different lenders will want different things. And working with someone like Scott or ourselves initially, we can help you understand that. You know, some lenders will want six months. Uh, some lenders, it's normally never more than that, but different lenders require different things. But as a rule of thumb, if you start with those things and have them ready to go, it's going to make the process much quicker. And, you know, when it comes to mortgages, lenders are pretty slow. So the quicker you can be, the quicker the process is going to happen. And you've got to be proactive. If you sit on the back foot and wait for wait for lenders and brokers to come to you with updates, it's going to take a long time. But if you're proactive, here are my documents, what's going on, can I get an update, et cetera, et cetera, then you can move things through uh, pretty quickly. I got a mortgage in two weeks last year uh, versus, you know, the three, three, four months that some people talk about. So it is doable. Okay. Now, you, you've talked before about some of the misconceptions that people have about uh, different lenders um, from overseas and where they need to go. Uh, tell us about those misconceptions that you hear often. Yeah, that's, that's a, that is one of the most common things we will hear is, uh, well, you know, I went into, I went into NatWest over Christmas, or I went into HSBC, or I went into Lloyd's in my hometown and said, look, I'm living overseas, I want to buy a buy to let, can I get a mortgage? And they said, no, therefore, it must be impossible to get a mortgage as an expat. Uh, no, most UK based lenders and banks 
won't lend to expats because they don't need to. They've got enough of a market in the UK without taking on the perceived extra risk. So you need to work with mortgage brokers and lenders and banks and building societies that are happy to work with expats and do, as a rule of thumb, work with expats, of which there are, you know, 10, 12 um, that are happy to do so and easy to work with. So, yeah, misconception, it's difficult. I need to work with my UK bank. Uh, truth is, it's not difficult and you need to work with specialist banks. Okay. Can you name any of those specialist ones? Ooh, um, yeah. So you've got Skipson's is a very popular one, uh, Skipson's Building Society. You've got Dudley Building Society, NatWest Offshore, uh, HSBC Offshore, Gatehouse Bank, which is Shariah compliant. You've got Vida Home Loans. You've got probably a few more. Uh, Shawbrook Bank, which specialise in HMOs. Uh, Bank of China, Al Ryan Bank. So there's there's loads out there. Okay, and so that then leads on to the next bit, which is uh, it becomes a bit complicated and uh, time-consuming to look at all these different mortgage deals from different banks and lenders. Uh, so working with a broker, Lloyd, uh, why is that advisable? Essentially, a good a good broker is going to be worth their weight in gold because because of their knowledge, their their advice, also their access to the number of of providers. Speaking of of Scott. When we did a, one of the APW seminars recently, he sort of mentioned uh, quite quickly, if you've got X, you fall into this bracket and you can access these 50 lenders. And if you're here buying this in this particular way, then you can only access these 10. So each person's personal circumstances, whether it's buy to let or whether it's for your own personal use mortgage, depends on what you can access. And that's what they know. They know based on your circumstance who to approach and therefore it, it, it speeds up the process, not only in, in securing something, but more importantly, securing the, the right type rate and, you know, and company back, you know, bank that's going to actually do the lending for your personal circumstances and the property that you're buying. And I think that's, that's probably the, the key point to working with a broker. Sometimes there, there there's going to be, a small fee, but that's going to come later when you make a decision to proceed. You know, their, their, their consultation is is free. And so what you're getting from that and potentially filling in a, you know, a couple of pages of sort of a, a information overview of your, your situation, what it is you want, that stage is free. You then get the advice and you're getting that from someone that's got the knowledge and the experience, like we mentioned with, with Scott in Singapore, 20 years of experience, and so therefore has got access to a very wide network of options for you. Okay, so assuming you've, you've then uh, you've got in touch with a broker and you've uh, settled on a product and a lender that you like, what's the next stage? Uh, getting a decision in principle, isn't it? Uh, tell us about that, Callum. You get what's known as a... A decision in principle, a DIP, or um, there's another. Uh, what's it? What is Agreement it? in principle. Yeah. AIP. AIP. So there's, you know, so it's the same thing, and basically that's almost like a certificate or a piece of paper, a PDF from the lender that says, okay, based on what we've discussed, 25% down. You living in Malaysia, this being a buy to let, achieving a thousand pounds, blah blah blah. We're happy to lend at 75% at this interest rate for two years or five years or whatever it may be. So it basically just outlines the, you know, the terms of the mortgage they're happy to give you. That's not yet a mortgage, but it's as good as, you know, it's them saying, yes, we're happy to lend. And 
Why is that important? Well, with a decision in principle, you can then go and speak to potential sellers uh, and uh, estate agents if you're buying secondhand property, uh, which is existing property, terraced house, for example, and your offer will carry a little bit more weight because they can see, okay, you've got the deposit, you've got the funds, you've got a mortgage in place, it's all good to go. So um, that is important. And then as well, if you're buying, if you're buying, depending on the stage of the off plan or something that's being refurbed, you may need to show a decision in principle as well um, there again, depending on the stage. So it's important bit of kit to have and it means that you can then go and offer on things and be taken a lot more seriously. Okay. So once you've, once you've uh, then gone from your decision in principle and you've dipped into the market, uh, you, moving forward, there will be a process of evaluating the property that the lenders do. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so essentially from there, that, that's where you're going to be looking at having a valuation carried out on the property. Um, you know, the bank's going to want to do that to make sure that they are lending on, on, on something that's been valued appropriately uh, rather than, like you say, uh, might be some either overinflated by a developer or it might be, you know, something dodgy being done between a couple of friends trying to trying to process a sale. So it also allows for property prices to be to be maintained in the marketplace as well. So they'll send someone out to value the property. There may be other documents, uh, whether that's, you know, electrical reports, you know, something like an EPC certificate on the property. Uh, they may may want something like, um, uh, is it an EWS1, the new cladding? Yes. Cladding, cladding report. Yeah. That's something that people obviously that are in existing properties that have then had to have the cladding done are now having to provide. And a lot of the time they've been stuck because they haven't been able to get that until the cladding's been done. Therefore, they haven't been able to sell. So it is important to, to, to sort of know that information. And, and again, it reverts back to, to having that, that knowledge from a good broker because they'll be able to advise, you know, what, what might be required for the property early on. So, you know, you can get you can get everything nice and organized. But essentially, once that, once that is done, you're then going to have a mortgage offer. That mortgage offer is typically going to last three to six months. So it's trying to line everything up. And obviously, the good thing about having a off-plan property or from a developer is you've got a window of time. They'll probably give you maybe a six-month window, then a three-month window, then a one-month window, and you can kind of time when you're going to need to do that. If you're buying 18 months off-plan, you know that seven, eight months off-plan, you're going to have to start that process in order to then get your mortgage offer to timely overlap with the project completion. And obviously, if it's a, a, an existing property, you've got to try and time the, the transaction of completion in line with whoever else is in the chain, uh, which can sometimes be an issue. But that's where if things do fall out of alignment, there is the option to extend that mortgage offer more often than not so that, so that the sale can complete. Well, this is where we get into the next uh, step in our seven-step process, uh, which is get your legals sorted. We're going to cover that in a, a in another podcast because obviously all of the conveyancing things that you talked about, all of the certificate uh, certificates and so on, that becomes a bit of back and forth between the buyer and seller uh, that is quite comprehensively uh, complicated. And so that's why 
getting a solicitor or a conveyancer involved is the best way forward. And we'll do that in our next podcast in the seven step process. Uh, but Callum, you uh, you went through all of this last year as a personal experience, didn't you? Yes, correct. It was uh, buying an off-plan place and, you know, got everything sorted, the mortgage. This was February and March last year and then sort of delays with COVID and prices of things rising. And usually on a new build or an off-plan, you can get a bit more of an extension because generally lenders understand that they can, uh, you know, overrun compared to an existing property. So, yeah, it was extended once and then luckily extended again and just managed to sneak in with it. But again, I mean, if I was doing that on my own, I probably would have just packed it in and, and walked away with all the money that I'd spent, you know, foregoing it. But luckily I had a broker that sort of said, well, don't panic, you know, this is easy. I'll speak to the lender. Let's try and push it through, whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I went through this and came out okay on the other side. And that was all done by yeah, working with a, a good quality broker that helped me through it. So, uh for the money that was paid to them, which is not an awful lot, 400 quid, I think it was worth every penny. Okay. Uh, well, uh, that's it for today. Um, look out for the next in our seven step series, step four, get your legal sorted. Uh, in the meantime, thanks to Callum. Thanks, Paul. And thanks to Lloyd. Thanks, Paul. Goodbye from me. My name's Paul Shearer. Do send in some podcast topics for us to look at. The email address is podcast at apwproperty.co.uk. Have a lovely day. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.